Welcome to Group Talk. Four shows, one podcast from the Small Group Network focusing on topics relevant to small group ministries. Whether you're in a church of 100 or 10,000, whether you're a volunteer or staff, we want to support, encourage, and equip you to lead well. So relax, listen, and enjoy Leadership Journey with Bill Search. Welcome back to the Leadership Journey. This is your host, Bill Search. So glad you carved out a little bit of time. You ever look back on your life? I really shouldn't ask that question. Of course you do. We all do. I should maybe ask a different question. Um, when's the last time you did some soul searching, some reflecting? A uh, while back, I got reacquainted with a book I read in graduate school nearly 30 years ago, a book called Making of a Leader by Bobby Clinton. He was a Fuller Seminary professor back in the day. He's now retired towards the end of his run, I'm told. But his book, Making of a Leader, uh, you know, when you read something and you're in your 20s, you just assume that the professors who chose the book knew what they were doing in the choosing of that book. You just sort of assume that uh, or trust that uh, the faculty were choosing good resources, but you don't know for sure. Well, I hadn't read this book in, as I mentioned, 30 years. So I picked it up and, and began to reread it. And uh, my notes are all on the margin. I can't sell any of my books that I've owned that I've read because I treat them like journals. I have all kinds of scribble and all the margins, things underlined and circled as a mess. But it also tells me it's like a snapshot of what I was thinking at the time. And it's a lot of fun to go back at some of those books. Maybe you're like that too. Maybe you treat your books that same way. And uh, as I was looking through the book, I was reminded of some of the thoughts I had, some of the hopes I had for my future. And here I am three decades later, and it's been really remarkable to see how God has moved in and through my life and ministry. And uh, depending on how old you are, you might be able to relate to that. If you kept a journal and you were that sort of person, you might go back and read some of those entries and think, wow, how remarkable. I prayed that God would do this, and he did. I hoped that this would happen, and it did. And you might also uh, look back at some of the things you hoped would happen and say, thank you, God. That didn't happen. As the great poet uh, Garth Brooks once mused in a song, some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Which, by the way, that song is about a girlfriend from high school that he bumps into once he's married to another woman, and he's super glad he's not with the old girlfriend. And I've often thought, I wonder if Garth wrote that song thinking of a particular girl after bumping into her later in her adult life. And then I wonder if that girl realizes he wrote a song thanking God that they didn't stay together. Anyhow, that's, I digress, I digress. Sorry, sorry, that's a distraction. But um, in Clinton's book, The Making of a Leader, I can't recommend this one enough. And over the next handful of months, I'm going to do some reflecting off of this particular book as a kind of a guide through this topic of the journey that we're on as leaders, whether you're a leader of a ministry, whether you're a leader of, of a small group, uh, whether you're a leader in training or whether you're a long term veteran leader who leads other leaders. I think there's so much that you'll relate to as we unfold some of this content together. And the, the first thing that uh, struck me was looking back at the sovereign foundations of a leader. 
You know, every leader uh, that God calls to lead some endeavor has foundations in their life that they had little to no influence over. Those are sovereign foundations. We don't choose when we're born. We don't choose the families that we're born into. We don't choose the neighborhoods we grow up in. We oftentimes don't choose the schools that we attend. Maybe by the time you're in college, and some of you even attended a college that was chosen for you, at least it was strongly suggested. And so um, Clinton challenges us to think about these sovereign foundations. And as I was looking back in the margins of the book, I I was able to reflect on some of the things at the time and some of the things I didn't even know at the time. So for instance, I, I turned 50 here in the month of June of 2021 and way back in, uh, the, the latter part of, uh, of 1970, uh, the United auto workers declared a strike on general motors. And my dad was an employee of general motors at that time. And the strike was uh, they were insisting, amongst other things, that those who had labored for 25 years should have the right to retire. Now, um, this is not a talk about the value of unions, but I'm really glad for that strike because I found this out just this past uh, year. My parents told me this story that because they were on strike and when you're on strike, you either are on the picket line striking or you're just around the house. And so apparently, uh, my parents spent a lot of time around the house and nine months later I came along and I am the product of a strike, which I find kind of both amusing and quite interesting that had my dad not been on strike, it's entirely possible. I would not have been born, or at least I wouldn't have been born in the, in the year I was born perhaps. And those are events I don't control. And the events around your life of your parents coming together. You don't control that either. And, uh, in my family, we, um, we struggled financially. It wasn't, we were not affluent people. And, uh, and because the schools that I was in were pretty tough, uh, and they continued to get worse. My parents scraped together enough money to send me to the closest private school that I could walk to because they both worked and I had to be able to get myself there. And it was a Lutheran school and we weren't Lutheran, but there was a good little private school and it was incredibly helpful both to my academic formation, but truly my faith formation, that little Missouri Lutheran elementary school, there's some good people in it. Now I didn't grow up Lutheran. I grew up Shiite Baptist. Yes, you heard that right. Shiite Baptist. Um, we were in church, not just when the lights were on. My dad was a trustee and then a later a deacon. We had a key to the church. In fact, I think every member of my household had a key to that building so that we could go there before anyone was there to turn lights on for everybody else that was going to come. And like every good Shiite Baptist, we were there for Sunday school and Sunday worship and Sunday night church, just in case we didn't quite capture what Sunday morning was all about. And then we even had to go on Wednesday night. Now, I didn't control those foundations. I didn't, in fact, uh, from time to time, I would say to my dad, hey, what do you say we skip church uh, tonight so we could finish watching the football game? And my dad looked at me like I was a lost pagan reprobate. That was inconceivable that we wouldn't go to church on Sunday night. And uh, 
Now, being a pastor for over 20 years, I'm pretty confident even the pastor of that church did not want to go to that church on Sunday night. It wasn't a great experience for anybody there, but I shouldn't say that. It was actually a wonderful experience for the community that called that church home. And that's probably why people came back, is for the community. But there was a warmth. There was a uh, there was a lot of good things that occurred in that church. But one of the one of the most important things was some of the key people that weren't my family relations, but they became my church family relations. I can think of one lady. Her name is Anne, and she's my mom's age. And Anne became a second mom to me. She became the volunteer youth coordinator in that church, and Anne was very concerned about the spiritual well being of the youth in that youth group. And the church didn't have a lot of money by then, and we didn't have a youth pastor designate. So Anne became the volunteer youth pastor designate without a title of pastor, without a salary. She just opened up her life and home, and she took us to Youth for Christ events because our church didn't have the resources to do any sort of special youth things. And Anne coordinated. She insisted that we go in 1988 to the big annual Youth for Christ convention in Washington, D.C. And I captured a really big vision for the church then. I was 17. I was between my junior and senior year of high school. I was just starting to pay more attention to my faith. I was just starting to get a little more interested in this whole thing. And it was it was Anne's insistent that we go to D.C. 88. That's what it was called. And there I heard a whole host of really incredible communicators preachers, teachers. And um, one of the guys in particular, in fact, uh, I follow him on Facebook and he's finally retiring from ministry. He's, a, he's done so well for the Lord. A guy named Buster Sorry, he's a pastor in, uh, I think, New Jersey. He's out on the East Coast. And and uh, I still remember Buster Sorry's gave this message about Paul and Silas in a Philippian jail. And it was midnight, and it was miserable, and they were singing praises at midnight. And I just remember he talked about how tough it was for them, and they were able to sing praises to God at midnight. And so his great question was, can you sing? And uh, Buster is an African-American pastor, and he preaches in kind of the historic black preacher style. And I remember he had all these kids. There's several thousand in that auditorium. We were all on our feet by the end of his sermon, and it was so moving. But it changed my life. You know, I was a Christian by then, but but there was something in the message. There was something in, can you, can you give yourself fully to God, even in the hard times. And I remember thinking, just like probably a lot of young people think, I remember thinking, oh, my life's tough. It's hard. I'm in a bad neighborhood. I'm in a bad school district. And here's this guy talking about Paul and Silas in a prison. And I thought, well, I've never been shackled in the prison. And they could sing praises. And, um, you know, it, if it wasn't for Anne we wouldn't have gone to that conference. And if Anne hadn't coordinated that as the volunteer, I wouldn't have been exposed to Buster Sories. And by the way, I bought that cassette tape. Some of you are old enough to remember buying cassette tapes of sermons. I wore that tape out. wonder if it's out there somewhere in digital land. It probably is, but man, I wore it out. I listened to that tape over and over. 
now I was in high school, so I also wore out the Beastie Boys and Van Halen. Don't get too, I wasn't too pious. Don't get the wrong idea. I don't want people to walk away from this podcast thinking I'm super spiritual. I, I was just like a typical high school kid in a public high school at that time. So, you know, but I did listen to that tape of Buster stories and it changed my life. Now, um, I'm not losing focus. This is all about the sovereign foundations. So here's my question for you. You know, what were the historical events around your life that you had no hand in, in those early formation moments of your life? Could have been a war, could have been a depression or a recession, could have been great prosperity. You didn't control the events, but the events had a great impact on you. And then the question about your family. I grew up in an intact home. My parents have, they're both living still and they've been together over 50 years. And I didn't control that. Some of you grew up in a home with a single mom or a single dad, or maybe mom or dad had multiple uh, significant others through the years. Those are all, those are all part of our formation. They have a hand in our formation. And who are the key people? You know, who are the key people in your life that you could, uh, you could look back and some of them might be negative. I could have told those stories too, but this is a public podcast and I don't want to name names. I'd rather share the, the great stories. Hey, all you amazing small group point people out there, Jason Banzoff here, group talk producer. And let me ask you one question. What do you need to make your small group ministry better this summer? Do you need to learn some small group essentials? Or maybe you need a strategic plan to take your ministry to the next level. Regardless, summer is a great time for you to look forward and plan your next year ahead. We will be hosting events over different parts of the U.S. this summer. And here are some dates. Align Denver, June 29th. Accelerate SoCal, July 13th and 14th. Accelerate New England, August 3rd and 4th. And we're finishing up at Accelerate Ohio, September 23rd and 24th. Visit smallgroupnetwork.com forward slash conferences to get more information and sign up today. Now back to the leadership journey. But who are the key people that had such an impact on you? And then um, what were those key experiences? You know, what was, what was it in your life, a key experience? Now, um, some of you, uh, if you know who I am and you've ever heard me share my personal small group story, but I didn't have a, a personal encounter really that was a positive one with a small group until I got married. Got married in the uh, summer of 1996 and my wife and I started attending a brand new church. It was kind of a, I'd call it kind of a church plant. And uh, they did small groups and I wasn't really terribly familiar with the concept. I'd heard about small groups, but I didn't know what they were other than they were small and I could figure it out by the name. They were group, right? And so my wife, uh, or the church offered these small groups. And my wife said, we should join one. And I kept trying to avoid it at all costs. It just sounded weird to me. It sounded uh, touchy feely. It sounded like people, uh, you know, group therapy or something. And I had graduated by then from a Bible college and a Christian graduate school. And uh, I remember thinking then, you know, it was so good to be young because when you're young, you know everything. As you get older, if you 
if you have any wisdom in you, you realize, boy, I don't know nearly as much as I used to. But I was young then, so I knew everything then. And uh, and so my wife, uh, she said, uh, look, we should join a small group. And I said, look, uh, I don't think we need to join a small group. And if you have any questions about the Bible, let me know. I've got some. I got a pretty good library developing here, and we can we can have our own discussion. We don't need a group to do that. But uh, my wife insisted, and we joined the group. And after joining the group, I kind of liked it. I liked the people. I, I started to forge some friendships. We began to have discussions, and you know, I'm probably talking to the choir here on this one, but we began to have conversations about faith that were really practical. I mean, they were they were like, how does this impact my marriage? How does this impact my parenting? How does this impact our finances? You know, when two individuals come together as husband and wife in the movies, that just is like the end and the credits roll. But in real life, then the real work become it begins, you know? Don't you want to see like this real sequel to the Disney movies, you know, where the prince and princess end up together? And then the next episode, they have a big fight and wonder why they got together, right? That's That would be real. No one would want to watch that, but that's like a British movie, not an American movie. Well, anyhow, you know, Karen insisted we join the group. We join the group. It becomes very practical. It becomes very helpful. And, uh, and all of that was shaped by the experiences of joining a new church. That new church had this new opportunity. We took a risk on it. She made me do it. We had a great experience together. And that was, well, 25 years ago now. Incredible, really, when I think about it. Now, this is all part of the sovereign foundations of a leader. All the elements that kind of come together. It's, it's a bit overwhelming and humbling to think about how little you control in your life. I mean, think about it. Think about the elements of your life that you, you, you kind of assume you have some control over. But then if you back up enough, you realize, boy, I didn't, I didn't really control that. I worked at a summer camp, uh, right during my college years and, uh, during summer camp, like all good summer college camp workers, I had camp romances. If you ever worked summer camp, you know what I'm talking about. You kind of fall in love for the summer and it was a Christian camp and there were nice Christian girls there. And so I had a girl that I started to develop some affection for, and, uh, it was somewhat mutual, but we were in college, different colleges, hundreds of miles apart. So it was primarily letter writing because the internet hadn't been invented yet. So we would write letters. And then when we were home on break, we'd go on dates and we never could quite figure out what we were doing with the relationship. It was kind of romantic, but not that romantic. You know, now I realize what it was. It was just a great friendship with a great gal. But at the time we were both single and opposite sex. And it kind of felt like, well, maybe, maybe this is the right thing. And, and so I worked at that camp because some lady in our church, not Anne, but a different lady had connected our church with that particular camp. So we do service projects at the camp during the fall and in the spring, and I worked there one summer and got hooked. I loved it. And so I ended up working at the camp every summer for a few years. And that's where I met this gal. And we became terrific friends. And we began to date on and off. And then on one of our dates, she introduced me to one of her great friends, who I'm now married to. 
when that gal introduced me to Karen, I was smitten right away. I went home that night and told my mom, I just met the woman I'm going to marry. Now, some people say that about everybody they meet when they're single and then they eventually becomes true. I'd never said that about anybody. It was Karen. That was it. Now, I didn't control meeting Karen. There are so many circumstances that had to just tilt in the right direction so that I could meet her. If I hadn't ever volunteered at the camp, I wouldn't have given my summer to the camp. But the only reason I volunteered at the camp is because a lady named Deb from my church suggested that we go do some service projects at that particular camp. And had Deb not had an encounter with some people from that camp, she wouldn't have had the sense or the sense of call anyhow for our church to do anything with that camp. So in other words, without Deb, I wouldn't have met Karen. Now that's a pretty pivotal little bit of detail. So you think about your own life, the significant relationships that you have with other people. Some of those you have a sense of control over, but if you back up enough, you realize, Ooh, I had no control. That was just God. That was God at work in his timing. And so, um, kind of the big idea here is my encouragement to you is you've heard enough of my story here. What are the sovereign foundations of your life? What are the parts that you would benefit by thinking back? And, and really spend some time thanking God for it. Thanking God for those sovereign foundations. And as you reflect on that for you, maybe the people you lead, you encourage them to do the same thing. Now, why do we do this? Sometimes we're real practical. And if you're a real pragmatic kind of person, you're going, what, what? This is all somewhat philosophical. And if you're still listening to me here, you might go, what do I do with this? Here's what you do with this. You spend some time reflecting because gratitude will fill your tank. And as you're thinking back on the things to be grateful for, how God moved in your life to prepare you for what you do in leadership now, The other piece of this is that you, as you lead other people, challenge them to do the same thing. Encourage them to look back at the various elements of how God has put them in a position of leadership or put them in key relationships. So that um, the other facet to this is so that when tough times come and they're inevitable, when perseverance is called for, you can look back at the at those sovereign foundations and go, God has been preparing me for this. If he's been preparing me for this, he certainly is not going to abandon me in the midst of this, is he? Of course not. No, he's not. And so as you look at your sovereign foundations as a leader, reflect for yourself, reflect, help others reflect as well. And it will secure a footing. This is just the word foundations. It's a foundation, the foundation that you didn't have a hand in. And the next time we're together, we're going to talk about some of the foundations that you do have a hand in, that you actually have a responsibility to forge in your own life. And so until next time, my prayer for you, my hope for you, my encouragement for you is that you do a little bit of soul searching reflection 
an expression of gratitude to God. All right, my friend, I hope you have a blessed month. And until next time, I'm Bill Search. Thanks for listening to The Leadership Journey. Thank you for listening to Group Talk. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and get new episodes downloaded automatically. Also, if you enjoy this program, please take a few minutes to give us a positive rating on iTunes so that other small group point people can find us more easily. We encourage you to visit our website, smallgroupnetwork.com, to access our library of free resources, connect to a huddle with other small group ministry leaders in your area, read our blog articles, or join us on our Facebook group. Don't forget to use the hashtag SGNet when engaging with your social media channels. Thank you for your support.